Welcome to the Top Gear magazine podcast, a peek behind the curtain of what it's really like to drive other people's cars for a living. These are the stories behind the stories. Hello, I'm Jack Ricks, Top Gear magazine's editor and joined as ever by Rowan Horncastle, TG's head of content and the man who's got a fresh haircut just so he looks good on a podcast. Uh, this episode, we're going to talk, uh, be talking about ice skating in the first electric Rolls Royce. Um, we're talking about going on a royal mission in the new Range Rover. And as you probably guessed by this point, it's our made in Britain, British special. So we're also going to be talking about the new Aston Martin V12 Vantage. But first, Rowan, been thinking about anything at all? Lots of things as usual, but an odd one, bank holiday weekend, plenty of time to think. I've been thinking about mascots. Okay, give me more. Do you remember, I think it's 2018, Axel, F1's mascot? No. They well, this was a thing. No one does because he. <laughs> well, I I don't know if, if it ever discussed its pronouns. He, she, it, they mm-hmm. uh, was was brought on by the FIA to try and zhuzh up the kind of proceedings and the you know the whole festival of F one to the point. Just to quote here, uh, Axel is to elevate the atmosphere of F one through edgy entertainment and impressive urban dance skills. Wow. Well, uh, I mean, dance skills are something you associate with the mascot, isn't it? But usually a sort of cuddly seal or something at Accrington Stanley FC, not the jewel in the crown of world sport, which is Formula One's. No, but should we have mascots? I was like, you know, Terry the Tafosi T-Rex or something like that. Or <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Or just for manufacturers. No, I think, frankly, they scare the kids. Um, I Just think about the, um, the the races in the Middle East and they're in these massive kind of fluffy costumes. There's going to be some serious heat stroke going on. What, I Katie think, the Kiwi, you know, for you McLaren? Think about I've had, you know, these all in of advance, them. haven't you? Yeah. Uh, Long I, bank holiday weekend I think it was. I think it's a bad idea. I think they've done a good job to get F1 in a decent place, drive to survive, new generation of fans, etc., etc. And I think... Mascots could be moving in the wrong direction, bro. Anyway, but uh, yeah, but did you see uh, the the drivers complain? If we're talking about the the, the Vantage, complain about the speed of the uh, Vantage safety car. That was brilliant, wasn't it? They're basically coming out and going, yeah, the 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 F one um, the F1 edition, the V8 Vantage F1 edition, which is the safety car, it shares duties with with a Mercedes, doesn't it? Mm, the Black yeah, Series now. Yeah, exactly. Um, wasn't quick enough, so they couldn't get enough heat in their tires. To which, um, I mean, massive. Massive blow to Aston Martin. That is a terrible piece of PR there. But the FIA rode to their rescue and said, no, 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 it's nothing to do with that. The safety car drives at a very specific speed and it's all pre-calculated, blah, blah, blah. But really, what we need, we just need a faster Vantage, don't we? Or a bigger engine, it may be. Bigger engine, that'd do the trick. Who'd have thought that? Anyway, there's been a man who's been driving... Advantage with a bigger engine for us, Mr. Tom Ford. Tom Wookie Ford. Tom Wookie Ford. Let's get him on and talk about the Vantage that the world needs. Hello, Wookie, are you there? Hi, it's me, he Tom is. Ford, not that one. <laughs> the other one. What do you do? What do you do? Why are you together? Why do I have to be on a remote link uh, and you two get to see each other? Well, we like spending time with each other, work. So, you know, a little, also, bit, little bit digital distance. Yeah, you've also got that um, anklet that the police gave you that means <laughs> that you can't, can't be near us either. Do you know what? I've started, I've actually put a load of Diamante bits on that, so it's quite sparkly now. 
I've kind Beautiful of work. made it quite bougie. And also, you're, uh, work, you've just got off a flight, haven't you, from somewhere, and you're probably yes. a bit cranky. I'm not cranky, but due to the unique way that the BBC is funded, I was flown economy both oh. ways. Uh, yeah. And I went to Vegas for essentially a day to drive a very special car across a desert. You can so I got say dehydrated. It's a Nissan Z. So yeah. it's the successor to the 370. Mm-hmm. And it is now 400 horsepower. Rear wheel yeah. drive. It comes with a manual Woo. and an auto. And it is very good. But I suggest that's probably a story for another day. It involved getting lost in a desert with a photographer who is a jazz drummer from New York. Let's let's save save keep our powder dry on that one because we will talk about it in the next podcast. But this oh, one, it was amazing. As this one, we want to talk about the V twelve Vantage. Oh, now that's yes. an interesting car, isn't it? It is a bit. Now, first question is: Did you drive? I don't want to give anything away about your age, work, but did you drive the original back in two thousand and nine? Yes, I did, and I was sixty when I did it. <laughs> <laughs> Because I, I can't remember, it, it, I remember being a wee young lad oh. in 2007. Because you were only 12 years old, that's why. <laughs> well, the Vantage RS, and there was a shoot at Paul Ricard. Did you do that one as well? Because that was the first time we saw... So the Vantage RS was a concept, right? Concept 2007, yeah. uh, when they were sort of gauging interest. Would you like us to put an enormous engine in a small car? Uh, yes, please. I basically can't remember. I have to check my phone to see what I did last week. But I definitely <laughs> did... I definitely did drive a lot of the V12. I think mm. I did a couple of group tests with it. I drove it around quite a bit. And it was actually quite subtle. It mm. was never a very kind of visually crazy car. I think it had some vents in the bonnet yeah. and a bit of, you know, skirtage and stuff. But it was actually quite subtle, but really noisy. Really noisy. Now, really now, Wook, noisy. Because, Wook, you shot, the, um, you shot the feature for the magazine um, you were supposed to have the original one along, but there was a bit of logistical mayhem. Yeah, I think, I think that was me being tired again, <laughs> where, where it was supposed to come on the same trailer and then it turned up with a single trailer. And you know that feeling of dread when you you know something's gone wrong mm. and there is no time to fix it. So it was I was walking towards a single car trailer thinking they've either done something really clever with space and time to get two cars in there or... I've only got one car. Because the original did have a, a small footprint, but not small enough not that it can do it. Can it can one <laughs> yeah. 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 So, for, fortunately, the right car turned up, right? The new one was there, and that's what the really The new mattered. one turned up, and it was very yeah. red, and it had the full spoiler kit, and yeah. it rolled off, and I was like a kid at Christmas. I was like, I really like these because they're mm. naughty, and they're, they're very me in that they're shouty and stupid and pointless. Mm. So I was kind of looking at this car thinking, this is mega. And when it rolled off, I did think, okay, that's a lot. Yeah. There's a lot because going you on. Said, you said it. The original was sort of, uh, it, was, it was much more subtle. They basically, the idea wasn't subtle, put that big engine in the small car. But yeah, the bodywork was a bit wider and a few vents and that was sort of it. This, they've gone full you know, street racer spec, haven't they? Full shouty. And the weird thing was, I always liked the fact that the the idea of putting your biggest engine in your smallest car is always a good idea, but it's an intentional mismatch of mass to power. So you've got this car and it's supposed to be quite, it's supposed to be quite brawny, but it's not supposed to be that shouty. So that when you drive it, you go, oh my gosh, this is incredible. But this car promises a lot visually because it's so shouty 
And then you, it, it's like rolls off and you go, this is going to be 900 million miles an hour. <laughs> and it's going to sound like God vomiting into a tuba. You know, it's going to be amazing. Um, and it was an interesting day. Mm. That's all I'll say. I did a lot of miles in it. I, I really did hammer it a lot. And um, yeah, what I mean, you drove it as well, didn't you? Jack? Yeah. Well, this is the point. So, so I should say, um, the day after you shot the magazine feature, yeah, we got yeah. it down to Salisbury Plain, and I and I shot a video review of it. So I did have a good go in it. Um, and yeah, I was sort of overpromising on the looks, uh, slightly under delivers on the drive because there's there's a confusion going on here, isn't there? It's simultaneously more hardcore, but also quite a lot heavier than the V8 yes. F1 edition. So it's sort yes. of like, what what is it? Well, the, the issue for me was that when you used to dump a V12 into it, it would have quite a lot more power than everything else. Because the twin-turbo V8 that's in the normal Vantage is, is very powerful for its size, you've ended up with a situation which the V12 isn't really that much faster than the V8, but it weighs a lot less. So the, the V8 feels more urgent and quicker than the V12. Now, that would be all right if the V12 was absolutely bonkers noisy. But apart from the startup, which is pretty good, actually, the startup, it does the whole, it whirs rather than barks into life and it goes, and you think, yeah, this is a big engine. Once you're going down the road, I don't know whether it's because it's the twin turbo motor, because what the original one was the older Aston one, wasn't it? Yeah, but the original anyway, was the, yeah six 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 liter V twelve. This one's a five point two V twelve twin turbo with two turbos. But the the turbos seem to suck the, the when it gets going. It seems to suck some of the noise out. Now, don't get me wrong, that car still sounds good. It still sounds like a V twelve at full chat. But I wanted it to make the hairs on the back of my neck stand yeah. up. Yeah. It want I wanted to be oh my god this fit. You know, like when you get a Ferrari V twelve and it's really up there, <laughs> and you go ah. But and I just want it didn't do it, and that's what the original did because we did. I did manage to get the logistics to work. Work wasn't that hard. Thanks, and, uh, right. <laughs> Mister uh, Cocky. The, the original engine that that's that engine is special, and it's a total surprise because you're sitting in it. The seats are super squidgy. You've got this slightly baggy six-speed manual gearbox, which is still good fun. And then this engine just comes alive and it just snarls. And it's, yeah, yeah, it's amazing. It's a real... See, I'm jealous of both of you. I've, I've just had to sit here because I haven't... <laughs> all oh. I've seen of the V12 Vantage so far are those digital renders that it was released with, which I didn't really know what to go from because they looked quite fake, to be honest with you. So the first time that you two sent an iPhone image... Again, I was a bit taken back by the wing and everything else, but it sounds like the visuals don't really match up with. Uh, I mean, what you, you get. would love it because it's covered in plastic, mm. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not plastic; it's carbon fiber. But you'd love it because it's got massive wings and massive air dams, and that's that's your. But, but I don't know because the, the the original, you know, I liked the subtlety of it, and it was just those bonnet uh, vents, which kind of showed it has a massive engine in it, and this thing needs to, you know, release some heat. Whereas uh, I, I, it was the epitome of a British hot rod, I think, the old one, where yeah. I saw this first one, and I was a bit confused because there is now the F1 edition, which has a wing on the back of Advantage, and you've got it looks that, like Kane from the rest of the red the wing. and black. So that's a very important yes. point is how you spec the car because you can dial it down. Right, back. Yeah. You can, yeah. The wing, interestingly, if you remove the wing, it's just as stable at high speed. It does reduce the overall downforce, but it doesn't really do that much which <laughs> suggests to me that 
it's more helpful with the styling element than it is yeah. with absolute kind of hardcoreness. Mm-hmm. And the problem with it is that I got confused by what it wanted to be. So it wasn't just a ludicrous kind of engine stuffed in a car. It's really grippy. It's really fast. But the engine doesn't match the way it goes around corners. So yeah. the engine is this big, silky kind of gentle, almost electric style shove. And then the car super hardcore, super bouncy. I got it skipping going around corners. If there's a bump, it wants to spin the back wheels because it skips off a bump. The steering's super sharp. You know, Rowan, you're talking about a hot rod. It's kind of, they have their little weaknesses, but they're encompassed within this character that makes you go, I don't care. <laughs> yeah. The, the way the new V12 is going about its job, it's super, super focused in terms of suspension. And then the engine is, is a different character. So the two things don't match up as well. But also in the old, the old one, you had the choice of the, initially the six-speed manual and then the seven-speed dogleg where it's easy to either detonate the gearbox or engine or both at the or same time. Or just find the wrong gear because yeah. they were so closely stacked. It was bonkers. Or reverse yeah. it when you're doing 80 miles an hour. <laughs> but the um, it's ZF only this one, so you can't really play with the engine as much. And it, it sounds like you're both slightly disappointed by the engine uh, in it, I guess. Yeah, I think so. I, th- I actually said in the video, I was like, do you know what? I know it sounds old-fashioned, but this could do with a manual gearbox because it would just add in a bit of that silliness. It's a big engine with a a gearbox that's not as quick, and it just needs maybe another little layer of character rather than just sticking the aero on. And you know what? It'd be slower, and absolutely no one would care. Yeah, yeah, Because it would be just like, uh, listen to this, and you could blip it, and you could (laughs) play with it, and you could mess around. Do you know what it felt? This is heresy, but do you know what I kept thinking while I was driving it? The way the suspension set up and the way it goes around corners feels like an AMG GT. Yeah, yeah. Like it's super hard, super nosy. It's like, and I just thought, oh yeah, because of Tobias Moes. Yeah, yeah. yeah he's so come in and set these, set these cars up in his image, hasn't he? Yeah. In my head, like a V12 Vantage is quite lazy. Mm. It's quite yeah. a big kind of... It, you, it, it should feel more GT-ish with this stupid engine in it, yeah. whereas this felt like a race car. And some people will love that. But a race car generally needs a V12 that's absolutely wound out to hell. It will be a great car on track with big, long, sweeping corners. On a British B-Road, it's a little bit all over the place. And the thing is, they said, you know, this will be the last time we put a V12 in it. Unfortunately, I think that's probably quite a good idea on the basis of that car. And also, by the way, every single thing we've discussed here today is completely moot because they've they're only making 333 of them mm. all sold out before they've even shown it to us uh and something like 260 grand so double the money of um what 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 the old one was okay that was a, a long time ago but um but yeah. i think the people that have bought them will understand the foibles and love it anyway i don't think yeah. that's an issue for people who want a really crazy aston martin yeah. i'm just not it's like you made a really good point about how you spec it though jack like i went on and specced one without the wing in dark green and it looks brutal mm. and i think i'd aesthetically it would it would appeal to me loads more without shouting about what it was and then you blow people away with it yeah yeah no i agree um and also you said there that this is the last v12 vantage it is because the next vantage is going to be all electric so part of me just thinks we're just nitpicking here we should be celebrating these cars these are the last of the line brutal big engine rear wheel drive 
coupes before absolutely everything goes electric. So, you know. so they should have put a really noisy exhaust on it then. <laughs> exactly. But it did. Put, it did pass the wookie test of the opener in the magazine for everyone who picks up the magazine. Uh, it is just giant, a giant smokescreen uh, for the opener oh, with do double that. face red. Yeah, <laughs> it'll yeah. do that. I scared that. Oh, I'll tell you a story. I scared the wits off myself trying to get it to go sideways around a corner. So we, we, we we're at this big open corner, and it. I was just trying to do a fast pass and go around the corner quite quickly and it just kept going faster and faster and faster and it wouldn't do anything. And I was like, oh, this is good. Booted it. It absolutely just spanned the rear wheels instantly. I did the full kind of like windmilling at the wheel. The photographer <laughs> fell in a ditch. I, I came around and it was still smoking. And then I couldn't, I came off the throttle and it was still spinning the back wheels. Yeah. So the engine doesn't come out of its revs very quickly. So yeah. I was like, I was halfway up the road on the straight before I pulled it back together. And I just thought, okay, I need more space. There were trees. There was trees and tractors and, I mean, obviously it was on a private road. Private road, yeah. <laughs> private it was road in first gear and everyone else. And uh, you can, and fortunately, I think the um, the photographer managed to get a frame away um, while you were in the middle of a, uh, a big panic oversteer moment um so make sure you pick up the magazine have a look at that shot the layout by the way is insane because we've gone full sin city on it black and white but the car's bright red it looks amazing that feature um, yeah the irony so sure is it's sin it city in in my neighbor's farmyard <laughs> it was, yeah and just like that we kept your red lip, lipstick red as well and everything else yeah, black and white could work as well but and um, the goldfish is still gold that's yeah. all we're looking for i mean the, you know you know what i feel like i've been down on the car there it i it is not a car that you wouldn't be absolutely overjoyed to bang around in because it's everybody stares at it. You can't miss it, especially in that red colour. Everybody was like, oh, my God, what is that? It's a, it's a UFO. It does the job of impressing everybody who sees it. Everybody loves it. Everybody is a little bit surprised it's an Aston, which yeah. is quite cool. And we also need to, we, we, we've got to get it on track. We've got to get it on track. We've got to get it on track. I think it'll, it'll impress us in ways that we're not quite expecting. But, yeah, we're just talking about the road drive now. And anyway. we're also horribly privileged. So we have the perspective, whilst not being able to afford any of these cars, of being able to compare them. And actually, if it was the only car you ever drove, you'd be blown away. If you've ever drone, drone, if you've ever driven, um, you know, an AMG GT Black, you'd be like, ooh, it's a lot of money. Anyway. Contentious either way. Plenty to talk about. Yeah. But we have to stop it there uh but you also very quickly uh, for the previous issue were in the rimats have i said that right uh, nevera, uh nevera which you everyone could see on the youtube channel and on topgear.com now of wookie doing some very um balletic. detailed science and balletic science yeah, yeah so uh, some big yes. skids it was it was a 1750 horsepower car which is 1888 ps Mm. on ice with no studs and it's all electric four motors it's it is possibly the most incredible technological achievement in electric and do you know what top gear did we took it out on an ice lake Yay. and just did donuts yeah was it so like one big sort of silent slow motion accident for two days it wasn't slow motion yeah it was <laughs> but it wasn't slow motion i was having the accidents in real time and then just basically gathering things up at the very last second i went and learned a load of stuff from their test driver though who yeah. is an incredible driver yeah. and we had to work these really weird split shifts so we're getting up at three o'clock in the morning working till 11 
and then going home for a bit, then getting up at four and working till 11 again. So it was, it was, there's some irony in the fact the snow wasn't holding together in the Arctic, driving an electric hypercar. But did, we did, did some, we did some fun stuff, man. Didn't it, you fall, donuts. Didn't you fall Do- through said ice? I at did. One point. Yeah, li- I, I tried bit. to get the car to a special place which didn't have uh, snowbanks on it, and the car went through the ice and landed on the splitter. And so both rear wheels were through the ice. And then I worked out that if you gave it full lock and just booted it, it would do a tank turn. <laughs> so I span it out of its own hole. Um, the, the PR people for Rimats were very, very concerned at my driving, but you know, it was fun. It was one of the best things I've done in a long time, that was. Amazing, amazing. Well, everyone, make sure you check that out. It's on the YouTube channel right now. It's an incredible video. Wookie, uh, thanks for coming on, mate. Lots to talk about. Shame we don't have another hour, but uh, that's the way it is. Is that it? Yeah. That's it, mate. Start start writing 400 Z words. I've already started that. I'm so excited. (laughs) There's a lot to say. Great. Well, next pod, I guess. Next pod. We'll see you then. All right. I'll be back. See you later, guys. Cheers, work. Right, Wookie there. Talking of spinning at high speed, should we uh, get the old rotor blades whirring on the horrocopter? Fire it up. So, what's the deal with Paul again? So, Paul Horrell, if this is your first uh, podcast uh, you've listened to, uh, firstly, shame on you. Secondly, he is uh, a contributor um, to Top Gear magazine, one of the OGs of car journalism, one of the most respected car journos out there. And he has an enormous brain full of lots and lots of information. So, once a month, we like to try and tap that brain by giving him a very complicated subject to talk about for 60 seconds and it's as simple as that we literally spring this on him we don't give him any warning in advance we just give him a topic wind him up and let him go bring on paul hello paul are you there hello hello uh, how, how are you feeling how are you feeling i've heard i've heard whispers that you're a bit under the weather yeah a bit i i'm coming out at the far end of a dose of uh winter winter virus of some kind not not that one um so yeah you've, you've, i'm gonna try not to cough all over your recording try not to that would be lovely i've got a little dose of uh a cold myself so i'll try not to do the same uh but you know the rules i don't need to explain it to you this is your 60 second moment to shine we've got another topic for you completely blind um mr horncastle is going to tell you what it is i've got the stopwatch Oh yeah, I'm not gonna. I, should I set my own stopwatch? I think I will, you know, because uh, otherwise I do tend to crap. On. <laughs> um, whereas if I set a stopwatch, I will crap on, but only for a the minute. The seventh one we've done of these, and already his standards so are again, plummeting. Uh, oh, there we no, no. We'll get the, we know that the energy comes Seven. up. So anyway, Paul Horrell, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, so this week we're interested in the art of forced induction. And I would like you to outline the differences between turbocharging and supercharging and explain the benefits of both. Go. Go. Okay. People call turbocharging free power in the sense that it uses energy that it would otherwise just go to waste uh, down the exhaust pipe. Um, air coming out of the engine is hot and still expanding. What you do is use that expanding air to turn a turbine wheel, a bit like a water wheel, but driven by gas. And that itself turns another wheel, which 
compresses the air, driving it into the engine. You get more air into the engine, which means you can throw more fuel in, which means you get more power out of the same sized engine. Now, a supercharger, what you do is drive that. Thank gosh. Drive that compressor wheel um, via a belt on the uh, from the front of the engine. So you use the crankshaft to power up that belt. That means that you actually, it, it sucks up some power. In fact, it was always said with the Mercedes uh, SLR engine that it took about 100 horsepower to uh, drive the compressor, which meant that if the engine was making whatever it was making, 550 horsepower, you could argue that there was 650, but of course, because none of it was available. Oh, what? <laughs> that was the difference. <laughs> oh, so we never did electric compressor. People, but, okay, can I just say one little thing? If any, if so, we ever turn your wind chimes off first, oh, then okay. we may be able to hear you. Sorry. Yeah. It's, it's not the Christmas yeah, sorry, bells I'd... going on. Uh, that's all. Yeah, no, that was said. my minute. Yeah, no, I it's just if you ever. All I want to say is, if you ever read about an electric turbocharger, it's not one. It doesn't really, except outside the world of Formula One, it's not a thing that exists. What do you it's mean? A, you're, you're, a, so you're talking about electric turbos? This new wave of like people talk about the Audi. Yeah, the Audi diesel engine and one or two others. Mm-hmm. It's not an electric turbocharger. It's an electrically driven compressor. That's all. Oh. It's just people are... Coming to the next C63, I believe, isn't it? Unless... Yeah. Well, actually, the I haven't looked at the E63 in close detail. It's possible that they do have one where... Uh, I mean, in a Formula One engine, you interpose uh, an electric motor into the into the um, turbine compressor, and then you can use the electric motor to, 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 to capture electrical energy. Um, oh, so it has a dual purpose. It has a dual purpose, uh, but I, as mo- the ones on the, the early ones that were on things like Audi diesel engines are not electric. That's the, the SQ7. They're, they're just a, so I, I ran one yeah, of those. That one. But uh, yeah, so when one. people refer to that as a tri turbo, they were just talking out their backsides. Um, actually, yeah, they were yeah. talking out their waistcoats. But um, <laughs> yeah. I, I, just so you can sleep at night, because I don't want you to, to, to wake up before in the morning not shivering because you've got a cold, and uh, but you didn't finish the. The question. So, ten seconds on each of application uh, of where's it beneficial to have a turbocharger or and then a supercharger. Okay, supercharger tends to respond more quickly to throttle inputs at low revs. Um, A turbocharger it tends to be better overall for fuel economy. And are you a turbo or supercharger man, Paul? Well, increasingly because of variable um, vane superchargers, uh, turbochargers, and things like that, you can actually get good performance out of a turbocharger. I'm compound charging because I'm greedy, but yeah. Yeah, I like, uh, yeah, what, what are those? What's both. The, both, yeah, Say so both. that's the old uh, VW 1.4. The little Volkswagen engine, yeah, things yeah. like that. Or, yeah. also the, well, and indeed that, Polestar that's an Audi one. Yeah. The Polestar 1 has a four-cylinder turbo supercharge, I think, under the bonnet as well as lots of batteries. We, that's, uh, that's, a big, that's a big topic getting into that engine. It's complex. But anyway, don't, don't forget that Lancia one that they never rallied. No, that's what, that's 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 more me. It's, it's, the, it's the, bit, the big boys, so... Um, Anyway, right. thank you very much, Paul. Thank Great. you, Paul. I hope you get better. Uh, I don't really don't worry about I me. Mean, don't give any brain time to that. There we are won't. far bigger problems in the world <laughs> okay. than mine. Okay, just don't <laughs> tell HR. Cop. We <laughs> don't Thanks, care. Paul. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Paul Hole there, making us all feel a bit stupid since 1959. BC. Cheeky. Um, what else is going on in this issue, Ray? Uh, well, let's have a quick flick through. So, oh, Jason Barlow. 
Mm-hmm. He's um, been busy. Uh, man of culture has been has hitched a lift with Jeff Koons. Do you know who Jeff Koons is? Yeah, artist, shiny, shiny bunny rabbits selling for many millions. Yeah, yeah, balloon dogs. Yeah, uh, he's gone around. Was it New York? Yeah, yeah, New York in the uh, new BMW 8 Series Grand Coupe. I think it is art car. Art car. Yeah. yeah. There's a list of the rest of them. You put that one in the list wherever you want. But uh, I was just disappointed you didn't go for the headline. My name is Jeff. And you just went for Jeff anyway. So uh, <laughs> then we've got some supercar porn yeah. MC20 group tests. Mm-hmm. What's that up against? Lamborghini Huracan and 911 Turbo. 911 Turbo, yeah. Uh, which just, you know, that's just classic. When, that's you it. when you haven't seen supercars in a while. Mm. We actually shot that one quite a while ago because um, we had the MC20 in for a... Uh, for a single car test, strictly a single car test, but we may have just stumbled across a couple of its rivals and then sat on that for a few months. But we got lucky. I think it was shot in January, February, but we got lucky with the weather. So it looks like the height of summer. Gorgeous shoot, though. And also, we've got uh, Tom Cruise. We do have Tom Cruise. New staff writer. Friend of Top Gear, of course, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Decent, very affordable rates. No, we have a preview uh, of the new Top Gun Maverick film, which I'm massively excited about. I think it's in cinemas end of May, May 25th, something like that. Yeah, I've been wearing my G-suit to bed for months since it was delayed last year. <laughs> but yeah, bring it on. IMAX, please. Okay. I'm Iceman, right? Anyway, but there's one big, big story of a big, big car. There is. It's the one that's front and centre on the cover. It's the brand new Range Rover. Um Interesting treatment on this one, courtesy of uh, Ollie Q. And we've got Ollie Q here to talk us through um, the thinking behind this royal approval. Thinking might be a slightly strong word there, Jack. <laughs> okay. That's implying some preparation that I'm not prepared to put in. Okay. So go on then. Let's, let's, um, we drove the new Range Rover. Um, uh, the, the international launch was in San Francisco, um, but we actually managed to get hold of a car in the UK. And we, well, you had what, a couple of days? So what did we do with it? Well, I just thought that the Range Rover, while Jason Barlow was doing a fine job driving it around in California, we had it Buckinghamshire. The Range Rover, like, it has the mother of all celebrity endorsements, isn't it? the grandmother of all celebrity endorsements, because it's the only car that is regularly driven by I thought, Her Jordan. Majesty the Queen. Oh, I thought you were going with Jordan. Even she hasn't got the new one yet. <laughs> Maybe there's not a pink one around that I've seen. Stay tuned to Hello Magazine for that, that podcast. But yeah, the Queen... She's had, I mean, it's not even the current model. She's got like a several gen old Range Rover. And even on her 96th birthday, she was seen touring her Sandringham estate from the lofty heights of the classic Range Rover. So you're thinking, you know, that is a tough crowd. Not only have you got to satisfy the demands of all your usual customers, but is this new definitive luxury SUV fit for a head of state? So somehow it was decided that we should come up with a um, very sensible consumer test to find out if the new Range Rover is up to the job. Oh, up to the job of being good enough for the Queen. So uh, what, what, kind of, what, what kind of things does a Queen care about in her um, 100k plus luxury SUV? Well, of course, as you know, all international listeners will know, everyone in Britain does know the Queen. And we're all, um, you know, we're all just like a grandmother to the nation. So it's it very <laughs> easy to talk. No, we were just thinking, you know, what would any member of the royal family of the landed gentry, gentry want from their cars? So obviously, due to the BBC's strict rules on health and safety, we couldn't put corgis in the boots. We couldn't get an invitation to go and do donuts on the lawn of Buckingham Palace. But, for example, you can drive from 
Buckingham Palace to Windsor Castle. What does it do to the gallon? How does it feel on the way? While you're in central London itself, what is this two metre wide, two and a half ton SUV like to thread through a town? Um, if you know, you should find yourself on a hunt, for example. I'm not sure the Queen does much anymore, but I'm sure that, you know, it, people in the royal family would enjoy that. What, what's it like tearing across your, um, you, you know, your, your acreage? Well, yeah. the thing is, what, I'm desperate to know what the new Range, Range Rover is like because it looks, you know, when we first saw it, quite similar to the previous generation, but there is a lot going on. There's a lot of new involved and it's very luxurious. Yeah, it? it is. It's it's that classic, the cliche around the Range Rover now is it's or it's not even a, supposed to be a an SUV. It's a, it's a luxury car. It's a rival to an S-Class. But the thing is, is that you could argue that luxury cars now are SUVs. I mean, I just made a little note here while you chaps were chatting about the, the new luxury SUVs that landed in the lifetime of the old Range Rover. And off the top of my head, Aston Martin DBX, Bentley Bentayga, Lamborghini Urus, BMW X7, uh, Mercedes kind of rejigged the GL class to become the mm-hmm. GLC. And if you're going to spend all the money, if you really are on the Queen's budget, a Rolls-Royce Cullinan. There are so many of these things now, and they're all SUV shapes. And, and that's ha- the problem for the Range Rover. Uh, How do you straddle all of that and still yeah. be the definitive 4x4? And you still have to beat the S-Class and the EQS. Yeah, and, and you've still new, got to do that. Well, yeah. a sort of traditional and new pretenders. You, yeah, you have to cover so much ground. Funny you mentioned the EQS, because, of course, there is an all-electric version of this new Range Rover coming in 2024. But for now, this is the thing with the Range Rover. There's all the exciting ones that are kind of still to come, the plug-in hybrids that are going to do 50 miles on a charge and the electric one. So we just had the Heartland spec. It was kind of British racing green, a lovely cream interior, and it had a nice talky, straight-six, hybridified diesel engine in the nose that, when I topped it up with diesel, said it had a 550-mile range. And you thought, interesting as that new electric Range Rover is, I bet it's not going to go that far between pit stops. And I bet it wasn't a rattly old diesel either. It sort of hums away quite nicely. No, there's something ever so reassuring Mm. about it. I'm going to sound so out of date now, aren't I? But just a diesel kind of just mooing away in the distance (laughs) as you sort of, you know, pop it into eighth gear and you're sort of you know, blasting down the outside lane. Of course, you know, Queen's Highway. But the, it's 69 but, miles an hour on the speed limit, but it is just a magnificently unstressed way to get around. But, you know, when the Range Rovers came, came about, to get, you know, off-road in a luxurious way didn't exist. The fact that they had carpets in and it wasn't a Willys Jeep or anything else or another Land Rover was a big point. Is this one ever going to go off-road? Did you go off-road in it and will other people? Or is it just too... too nice? Is anyone other than Harry Metcalf actually going to use it on a farm? Shout out to Harry. Well, this is the thing. It's it's a Range Rover. Well, any Land Rover, I think, thrives on authenticity. It's that classic, that cliche about, you know, everyone loves having a wristwatch that can go to a thousand meters down to the seabed, even if you never even drop it in the bath. And it's so if they ever did reveal a, a Range Rover where they said, you know what, actually, it's on sticky tires because that's better for going around roundabouts, there'd be uproar, wouldn't they? Yeah, the yeah. Queen would probably lock them in the tower. So this is, even though this is a Range Rover now that between 21 and I think 93 miles an hour, it's rear wheel drive not four-wheel drive, just to save a few grams of CO2. Skids. It's still got all of the automatic terrain response. It knows what terrain you're on before you do. It's setting the diffs up and the traction control and the gearbox. It's got better approach departure angles than ever before. It can ride up to 120 mil higher if you tell it to. Air suspension, up you go. And you can lord it over, you know, peasants, but also (laughs) terrain. So it has got everything covered, but that's the part of the the, the sort of the ability of the car that you'll 
use least. I think the thing that's most impressive is I drove around in a Range Rover for two days and the touchscreen only crashed once. Oh, that is, that's a PB. Yeah, uh, that is, for, for, that's for, extraordinary. For I mean, the Queen product. will be delighted that when she's, you know, she's getting tucked into Apple CarPlay now, it's foolproof. I think she's Android, Android Auto. <laughs> but uh, but to, to take it on to that point, imagine if the Queen did arrive at a track day with sticky tyres on a Range Rover, you know, just at Donington for an evening session and she just comes round. Well, That'd be she'll, fantastic. You'd, you'd, have to, you'd have to let her pass, wouldn't you? It's like, you know, you'd have to let her win. Well, especially as she'll be in a part of a great big sort of cavalcade. There'll be sort of 40 <laughs> armoured cars coming through before her. But um, she'll have a range of sport for that. But just going back to those points, because, you know, JLR did big things with the Defender. And that's, you know, was but taking something had to reinvent off. a legendary name, didn't it? Whereas this, it's almost like, well, can we change it as little as possible, please? Because the last one was pretty successful. But, but the Defender's got some great tech in it. Uh, both, you know, inside, outside, and how it gets you over obstacles. Mm. Does this feel the same, or...? The thing is, there's very few, and Landro won't like people saying this, but there's kind of few headline features on this. I mean, from three quarters of the way around, the Range Rover looks pretty much the same as the old one. It's just a bit more minimalist. They've done some nice stuff at the back Flush. by... Yeah, it just looks like it's all been kind of carved out of the wind, you know, sort of land erosion or wind erosion over millions of years. But they've done some nice stuff at the back by tinting the taillights, but... Yeah, it doesn't. It's the tail not... lights kind of drop down the, the the outer edges, don't they? It's got quite a unique. Yeah, kind they're of light hidden behind the sort of yeah tinted lenses yeah. until you illuminate them, and it's that's all a very subtle redesign inside. Yeah, the touchscreen's great, but it's the same one you had at the Defender, like you say, Rowan. And you know, a lot of the the new steering wheel, the new indicator stalks. Again, you've seen them in previous Land Rovers now, so you could be forgiven for thinking there's not really like a headline feature. I think for me, the most interesting new gimmick, if you like, is the rear wheel steering which just transforms how well you can use this there, car in town. Shot, there's a shot in the magazine, actually. Um, Where it looks like I've broken the rear yeah, axle. It looks like you've absolutely hit a rock and snapped one of your rear wheels off to, to a 90-degree angle. Mm. It's actually quite a, a pronounced thing, isn't it, the rear wheel steering? And I love that you reference it. You then say, turn back two spreads and have another look at that picture. It's not broken, honestly. Yeah, because it does it, look extraordinary. I mean, after all, this is a Land Rover. People might think it's gone wrong. But no, can <laughs> confirm, not only was the thing phenomenally re- reliable for two days, but this is now the Range Rover, the biggest Land Rover, has the smallest turning circle of any Land Rover. It actually goes around tighter in a tighter circle than an Evoque. I think it's 11 metres, about the same as a Golf. And that's because you get 7.3 degrees of rear steer out of the rear axle. And it just, I mean, you know, let's not get into all the ethics of whether or not you should use these cars in town right now, because we don't have an hour to do the pod. But if you are going to use your Range Rover in town, and a lot of people do, this just makes it so much more reassuring and easy to thread through London. Did it have the table in the back? No, we had a very much a school run spec. We had three seats across the back, you know, standard school run bench, none of your pop-up mahogany hold on, tables. Hold on. If you're on the school run, you need the table there to finish your home homework off. <laughs> I, we used to have it in a, in a spas. Ronnie Pickering's uh, C4 Picasso had a table in it. You know, this Range Rover needs it for the kids in the back Honestly, to do it. we didn't even have a fridge in this <gasps> one, which came in, well, would have come in very, very handy when we had to do the comfort test, which, um, you know, Top Gear thinking, how are they going to do that? They've got some sort of G-meter to measure the, the head toss inside or some sort of, you know, special equipment. No, I decided to see if we could um, butter a cream tea at 70 miles an hour. And um, yeah, let me tell you, that was very, very difficult with the cream, the consistency. It was a warm day. That was a we test, a test really of str- ride quality, right? Yeah, yeah, ride quality, comfort, and yeah, just the chauffeuriness, the waftability, if you like, a technical term there. Um, yeah, as that cream warmed up, it was um, it was pretty stressful day at work. Let yeah, me tell you, you did mention <laughs> earlier it was a cream interior. I didn't know that was a reference that was to after a spillage. The shoot, yeah. Was that a spillage or just... <laughs> no spillages, but because the photographer 
wanted several angles. I ended up having to eat about five scones. So after you think this is great, what a hilarious day at work. And about five scones later, I was really struggling back there. Ready so. for a gastric what, band. What, what a job you have, eh? Sitting in the back of a Range Rover eating scones. What, how else is the Queen going to know that the Range Rover <laughs> is white for her? We have to be thorough. But but not only that, uh, off the back of it, there's an A to Z uh, of, you know, a, a sit rep of the British car industry. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, when I'd finished my gluttony in the back of the Range Rover, I sat down and um, considered all of the, yeah, the British car industry as a whole. We kind of sort of laugh at it like we do the British weather, I suppose. Like, oh, yeah, we used to rule the world and stuff. But the British car industry in so many ways is thriving. I mean, no one does as many great lightweight sports cars as we do. We are the envy of the world for kind of designer label luxury. But we've also sold off so much of the family silver. So where I was going through looking not only you know, how are our great car brands doing, but who owns them these days? Yeah. And, and where's the money coming from? And where's the money going to? Are they exporting stuff? Do they even care about the British market anymore? I mean, just an example, I spoke to Radical, and they were telling me that 95%, I think it was, of all their race cars, no, that's it then, they're a 95% race car brand now. So only 5% of their stuff is actually road cars. Mm-hmm. And of that, three quarters of it is now exported. Yeah. So if you buy a Radical, you're much more likely to see one anywhere else but England, which is yeah. kind of funny considering they're a you know, track day manufacturer established in Peterborough. So, shall we wrap up with a little pub quiz? Little quiz? Let's do a little quiz. We've got the quiz master here, Ollie Q. Happy to be here. Okay, so just a little uh, brief. This is your first pod. Uh, this is the top nine. So Ollie writes these amazing top nine lists for the website, for the magazine, where we gather together uh, a group of seemingly obscure things or cars or features and then you give us the topic we try and guess what's on the list simple as that okay so this time as we all know the coolest cars are fast estates so i'm looking for your top nine bread vans slash shooting brakes please well you've answered the first question there haven't you by saying shooting what how would you define a bread van it's basically a shooting brake that's a bit square at the I mean, back. A, a bread oh, van is a, a, well, something full of hovis. That's what I thought. <laughs> that's the thing. A, about, yeah. a bread van is kind of a dated term because they used to be a recognisable site on British roads. You know, mm. bakers had vans specifically for bread. So mm-hmm. there's kind of, you know, you're looking for basically a very chopped back estate car, angular, squared off, looks a bit incongruous with the front of a sports car. Two door. Yes, please. Yeah. You want to take it away, Ray? Uh, yeah, go on then. Go on then, because there's an easy, you know, easy pick. It's nicknamed the Clown Shoe, I believe, is the Z3M Coupe. The BMW Z3M Coupe is correct answer. Yes, that was, you're right, yeah, the Clown Shoe. Yeah, a car with two nicknames. Bavarian bread van. Yeah, I don't, what's, a, what's a Bavarian sort of bread? Pretzel. Pretzels, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> there you go, a pretzel van. Yeah, this was the the Z3 when they, um, which is a car, a sports car, I guess, that most people never really hugely rated. But then all of a sudden, when they gave it some super dished rear wheels and this 320 horsepower, was it an M3 engine? I yeah, think M3 it ended engine, up in it. Yeah. yeah, ended up with a true modern classic. And again, another car which you think, oh, I'm going to own one of those one day. No, they're gone. The prices are crackers. Yeah, but really cool thing. Right, uh, I'm going to come in with uh, the only car I can think of that actually has bread van in its title, or at least in its nickname, which is the Ferrari. So I'm not going to get the entire model code right here, but it's definitely Have a, go. It's a 250. It's, it's got a wheelbase. Uh, what, a 250 GT? It's not a GTO. I'm not going to I'm not going to oh, say I'm gonna give it to you. Yeah, you've got right. enough of the elements there. I've got, go yeah, then. it's the Ferrari 250 GT short wheelbase, inverted commas, 
bread van. Anyone who's ever paid any attention to the Goodwood members meeting, Goodwood revival, will have seen this thing. It's from three quarters of the way from the front. You're thinking, wow, what a beautiful, svelte, curvaceous Ferrari. And then it's got, you know, an Ikea wardrobe, apparently, <laughs> on the back. All done for speed at Le Mans. This was a, a 60s. It was basically a spat with Enzo Ferrari. This guy kept nicking Enzo Ferrari's best racing drivers, buying and sort of beating the factory team. So Ferrari, so Enzo said, I'm not going to sell you a 250 GTO. You can, you know, get lost, mate. And so, they, they, you know, he modified his existing short wheelbase race car with this low drag tail. Very, very early kind of interpretation of super slippery aerodynamics. And went and beat Ferrari again, I think. Very, uh, in many ways, the precursor to the Toyota Prius and its uh, sort of elongated roof I mean, line. And there's a twin test I'd love to see. <laughs> there's also that iconic image with the, uh, the Christmas trees stuffed out the back of it as well, which I, I love, which comes up every Christmas yeah, time. That was that was doing Christmas tree deliveries before Instagram made it a cliche. <laughs> um, so yeah, point to Jack there. That's one all, gents. Well done, you, Jack. Well done, Jack. Ferrari, there's, a, there's quite a few Ferraris, but I'm going to stay away from there in, in, until the tiebreak cars... What about... Anticipating a tiebreak already. I don't know, hopefully. Uh, I'm going to go something from America. And America is somewhere famous that doesn't get on with wagons, especially two-door ones. But there was the Callaway Aero Wagon, which was a Corvette with a... Very cool. With a a wagon grafted onto the back of it. A very cool thing. Um, Point, please. Not on the list. That's an incorrect answer. (laughs) This is just one of those ones that, yeah, I'm afraid I've... I've not featured, but yeah, you are right. Callaway have done some really cool things with Corvettes over the years. Made them do 200 miles an hour quite early on and pulled massive power out of them. And and made a really cool shooting break that should be on the list. That I've neglected to. Shall we move on swiftly to Jack's guess? Yes. Um, so all I can think about are Ferraris. So I'm just hoping that you've uh, lowered your standards and put more than one mark, uh, one, more than one from a single mark on your list. Hmm. Um, so a car that I've actually driven... Uh, a while back, uh, quite early on in my Top Gear career, was uh, a Ferrari Daytona shooting break. It was done, I think it was a one-off. It was by a company called Panther Westwinds, if I recall. It basically looks like a hearse that's been, that's sort of, you know, uh, lay down with a with a Ferrari Daytona. <laughs> <laughs> um, the Ferrari 330 GT shooting break was number nine on this top nine. That is a correct answer. Hold on. I think you've got this one wrong. No, 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 no. I think yours is a 365 because I was there on the same drive it is and a I drove it too. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a 365. How many shooting brake Ferraris are there? These are ones that I'm even not aware of. Are you talking about well, the black car? How many you multi-millionaires? Drove are yeah, the black one. black one. Oh, no, yeah. I've got a different one here. This you've is got a, the JK one. Uh, what have you got? Then? Yeah, the one that was owned by JK, a 400 horsepower V12. No. Oh, what do we do? Go to a judge's well, decision. No, 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 no. It's fine. It's not on the list. I'll take it. I've driven it. I'm happy with my life. I don't need the point. It's not, yeah, there's not many people who've driven a shooting brake Ferrari, so I won't give you the point, but you do have my jealousy. Okay. I have no idea of whether this was official or not, but I've definitely seen it. But wasn't there an Aston Martin DB5 shooting brake? There was. That's the correct answer for that. Because like, you know, the down. DB5 is seen as one of the coolest cars of all time. I've got a quote here. Apparently, with the DB5 shooting brake, it was Aston Martin's David Brown, hence DB in the name, um, entered the company workshops with his dog and said to his draftsman, build me something that I can take the dog in, please. And 
this was the result. They just took a DB5 and they stretched the roof back. Most people do a cage, really, or just, yeah. just get <laughs> exactly. a, a small kennel. Yeah. But, but, you just know, buy a, a Volvo, mate. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So at 40 cubic feet of storage space, they only built 12. But the coolest thing I think about it, you know, you see all these DB5s, I'm going on about James Bond and Goldfinger, but apparently, I don't know anyone who's verified this, but I've read online that the DB5 shooting brake actually quicker than the coupe because of... The Bread Van Aero ah. makes a car faster at the top end. There you go. You want a really fast Aston Martin? Get a wagon. Right. I'm going to bring this home then. It's 2-1, isn't it? 2-1 as it stands. 2-1. So if I don't Final get guess. this, uh, I'm, no, it's I'm, not. I'm toast. Are we still not? You've had two guesses? I've had three, haven't I? No. You've had three. Yeah. I've had two. Oh, it was on the list. Oh, yeah. The amazing yeah. Callaway. I'm yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Right. 2-1. So uh, if I don't get this, I lose. Right. <laughs> I can only think of all Ferraris. Um, I'm not going to say the FF. I don't think it was bread vanny enough at the back. Uh, didn't the Sultan of Brunei uh, commission a 456, Ferrari 456 kind of bread van? And in classic Sultan of Brunei style, he ordered about six of them as opposed to just one. I believe he did. Mm. But I also believe that that was... I mean, to date, I think, anyway, the only four-door Ferrari... No, there was a... Was it, what was the 400 or 400? 400i, yeah, Darth Punk's car. Ah, okay, so there was that four-door Ferrari. That, that, this was also a four-door Ferrari, and, of course, we're talking about bread vans. We, we stipulated earlier that's two doors. So I'm not going to give you Is that one. Is he just throwing it away, I believe, there? <sighs> I mean... I mean, yeah, st- there were other Ferraris on the list. I had something called the 612 Scalietti by Vandenbrink, which was... <laughs> As you'd expect, you know, a Ferrari 612 with, yeah, a hearse back end on it. Could have had that. You went more esoteric, and I'm afraid you stay on one point. To be fair, I mean, that was at the harder scale of of top nines that we've had. Yeah, we'll do, like, top nine best cars next week. Can we do, yeah, best big V12 engines next week or something easy? All right, something something more, you know, less nerdy. But if if you do want to see the whole list of shooting brakes, I think there's many stories on topgear.com about shooting brakes. One of our favourite things. I've I've written a lot about them in the past. Google shooting brake top gear and enjoy yourself. And just fill your boots. Absolutely fill your boots with shooting brakes. And jump in the comments and tell me which ones that you wish I'd missed. I'm going to go and put the Callaway in there right now. Awesome. Cheers, all. See you next time. Thanks, Ollie. All right, that's, um, that's probably enough. Should we call it a wrap? There? Yes. Rap party. Let's have a rap party. Is that what you do with a podcast? I don't know. Let's, I don't let's know. wrap it up. Uh, yeah, let's have a rap party. But before we go, remember to check out topgear.com for rolling car news, reviews, and in a moment of a fit of organisation, I've actually set up uh, an email inbox for the podcast run. I'm not sure if I've even told you about this. No, what? The uh, IT, IT department's been on there and... Yeah. What's, what's, if BBC... I wanted to email you, what do I, who do I email? Podcast... Right. at bbctopgearmagazine.com. Okay. So uh, the idea is you can send in uh, send in anything you like, literally anything. Tell us about the podcast. Tell us what you want to talk about. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like. And we might even read some of those emails out. Yeah. Tell us your birthday. Draw us a car. Anything, we'll probably read it. Tell us if you like the podcast or if you don't like it. Mm-hmm. But also, if you want some more Top Gear, you can go to Top Gear's Instagram channel, our Facebook, our YouTube, where there's new uploads on the new Range Rover. We've got a full review of that, plus the V12 Vantage review that you've done, Jack. So with plenty more coming as well. And anything else? Yeah, the magazine. Ah, the magazine. Get yourselves a copy of the magazine. So the new Made in Britain issue. It's fantastic. A Brit car special, but there's loads of other stuff in there. Um, and I think that's enough. 
All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye.